One of the things that I wanted to get out of this pregnancy was some sort of closure. I came out of my pregnancy with Oli thinking, oh, that went so well, I'm ready to have another baby. And then when we decided we're not having any more kids, I, I sort of missed, I, I wanted to have been, I, I wished I was aware of that when I was pregnant with Oli so that I could have thought, oh, this is the last time that I will be doing whatever. And this is, you know, this is saying goodbye, I guess, to the different parts of the process. And so I thought, okay, if I, I can have another pregnancy that isn't my child, maybe it could give me some of that. Hello friends, this is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. Our story today blurs some lines and challenges the way we sometimes think about the boundaries between us. The physical boundaries of our bodies, but also our relationships and our emotions, and even our stories. In your email when you said to tell the story from the beginning, it's really tricky to figure out what the beginning is. It's like, is it my relationship with her? Or her story? Or my story? Anyways. Because it is tricky sometimes when her story is also my story, or when my experience connects and overlaps and even makes her experience possible. Our connections are sometimes strong, sometimes weak, but are ever-present, crossing time and bridging generations, reaching out in unexpected ways and helping even those with vastly different experiences to come together and help each other forge new paths to take, sometimes together, sometimes separately. Um, so my name is Amanda Demas Larson. And, um, I, hmm, what do I say? So I, (laughs) I live in Maryland. Um, I actually grew up in Maryland, um, and left when I was 16, my family moved out and was gone for many, many years and then moved back about almost six years ago. I have a husband whose name is John and I have four kids and the oldest is 14 and the youngest is four. I'm an artist. Um, I'm a, I'm a painter. Um, and I work for the city. Um, I live in a city called Greenbelt, which is a wonderful place. So I, um, was a surrogate mother or gestational carrier for my friends, Leslie and Doug for, uh, their baby. I carried their baby. Uh, her name is Ellen. She was born in January. How did it come about? So Leslie and Doug um, are very, very old friends of mine. So I've known Leslie for as long as I can remember. My older sister and Leslie were best, best friends um, growing up. So I have a very um, close relationship with her. And then, so Leslie does have a child. He is 17 she was not able to have another child and wanted to. And so many, many years later, her husband and she um, pursued having a surrogate. And after a couple failed experiences, failed surrogacies, they sort of took a break and then um, decided to try one more time. And so this was maybe three years ago now. We were at a, oh, I think it was like a Christmas 
gathering at my sister's house or something. And she was just asking me and my sisters if we knew anybody or if we would be willing to put out on social media to find if there was anybody that we knew or a friend of a friend or just anybody in the area uh, through our contacts that is what is interested in being a surrogate and we want to be her surrogate. When Amanda heard that, her mind went back to those hypotheticals we all run in our heads about what we could and would do for another person. Could she? Would she? What was she willing to give up for her friend to have a baby? Would she get anything out of it herself? Oh, so it has had definitely been something I had thought about. And I didn't ever think I could do it um, just emotionally. But I think it was a combination of things. Um, one, that she was a close friend of mine. So I cared about her and I wanted her to be able to have a baby. And and it it if I was able to make that happen, then that was great. Um, but it was also um, where I was in my life that I had four children. So I... I had a lot of experience with pregnancy. I knew how I reacted to pregnancy. Um, I, I guess I had, I knew what to expect. I was finishing having children. So it was like I was done. So now I could sort of give the gift of what my body is capable of doing to somebody else. And just and where I was emotionally um, in relation to pregnancy and and carrying babies and it it was a less less emotionally fraught than I think it might have been earlier in my life. And so when she asked me that and I I've never asked her if she at all thought that that maybe I would but but at the time I thought oh my goodness that is something that I could do and I'm local and I care about Leslie and Doug. Amanda didn't say anything to Leslie at the time. And in fact, it was nearly a year before she took that step. Some of the delay was normal hesitation around taking a big step into something that was fraught and full of unknowns. I mean, she felt fairly comfortable with her ability to handle pregnancy, but any pregnancy can be full of surprises. Plus, there were other personal factors that Amanda needed some time to process. That that length of time though, I, being done having children has been tricky a tricky transition for me really really strangely emotional and i it's been really hard for me to wrap my mind around this new transition in my life and so part of that process was i just needed to be sure that i wasn't going to enter this process for somebody else and then all of a sudden backtrack and say, wait a minute, no, I actually want to have my own child. So I, I think there was there was working through a lot of things with that. And then and then just a little bit of hesitation, just like, am I sure about this? It, it was it's a big thing. So there was also just, you know, just regular old hesitation. It was maybe even like a year later. It was a long time later that I actually, this is very like middle school, but I I told my sister, maybe you want to mention to Leslie that I might be willing to do this. It was sort of like the passing note kind of thing. And then Leslie was like, ooh, really? And like gave the message back to my sister to give it back to me anyway. And then we got together and actually started talking. The middle school note-passing technique is a good example of the dance of boundaries and emotions. It's a question and an answer that could lead to awkward moments, confusion, or hurt feelings. 
Amanda offering her body, Leslie's deepest desire on the table. The stakes are super high. So Amanda kept the pressure to a minimum by giving Leslie some time and space so the whole situation didn't blow up in their faces. So I, th- I, f- I think I wanted to give her an out. Um, so maybe she, maybe it was important to her to have it be someone who she didn't know as well. Whereas if I, and if, if my sister approached her rather than me, then maybe she would have been more comfortable saying, oh, actually, I don't want someone I know this well to carry my baby. I want it to be someone that I don't know as well. Um, or maybe it was just, yeah, I, I, nerved, I was nervous about it, I guess, um, as well. Amanda's nervousness was quickly put to rest, and she and Leslie started the surrogacy process. For Amanda, it meant a lot of medical work. The fertility clinic wanted all of her medical records from all of her pregnancies. She had many, many blood tests. Some of them had to be rerun because of mistakes. She discovered that some of her immunizations had worn off and had to be redone as well. And she also had to have her uterus measured. And that was before she could even start the two rounds of IVF that would actually get her pregnant. The first round was a practice to make sure they got everything right, and also so they could biopsy her uterus to test fertility levels. It was a process that left her with a profound respect for those who are not able to get pregnant without medical intervention. And on top of all the medical interventions was the therapy. And then the other thing that they require is um, that you work with a therapist. So I did a screening with a therapist. I did a talk with a therapist. Both John and I had to meet with her. And then all four of us, Doug, Leslie, and John and I all met together. So there's really, it, it was, I feel like it was a really big process, but really good as well. Not just for me to know that this was a good thing for us to do, but for, to have everybody on board and to have questions brought up and things be out in the open that might not have been, if it was just sort of us going in and saying, Oh yeah, let's do this. Uh, And this didn't end up being, being anything that we (laughs) ended up dealing with, but the therapist really went through um, any possible scenario and said, okay, so what would you want to do? What do you think you would want to do? How do you think you'll feel about this? So that there was that side of it. Um, and then also just, I, I was talking to Leslie a lot, but I wasn't talking to Doug a lot and John wasn't talking to Leslie a lot. And so to have us all in, in a room there and have us be, uh, we talked about what we were afraid of, um, and w- any sort of negative feelings that we had, um, surrounding it. Yeah, it was, I, we were, because we were required to be open about things, we were more open than we would have been otherwise. Amanda wasn't pregnant when the four of them met with a therapist, but honestly, perinatal therapy sounds like a phenomenal idea. Can we all get that? Seriously. But when she got through all those blood tests and therapy sessions, it was time for the embryo transfer, and a couple of weeks later, a pregnancy test. After all that excitement, it was a bit anticlimactic. Amanda said that the embryo transfer was the least invasive part of the process, but it was still classified as a surgery and she had to wear a surgical gown and all of the trappings. And of course, it was the first time she pretty much knew the result of the pregnancy test before she took it. But there was a bit of a surprise that came along with the positive test. It sounds really 
strange because it seems really obvious, but the pregnancy was very, very different than than any of my pregnancies in the past, not because of the symptoms were different or anything, but it was really, really strange to take a pregnancy test and not have all of the emotions that go along with having a new member of your family. It, it, it sounds I almost to be disconnected from the baby I was carrying because I didn't have those emotions that I had anticipating again, like bringing a new child into my family who was my child. I, I don't know. It sounds really obvious. Like, okay, yeah, you're carrying a baby that's not your child, but it, it was a really strange feeling to me that I, to just keep noticing how different it was from my normal pregnancies. We could definitely debate whether or not it is obvious that she would or would not be attached to a baby she was carrying that was not genetically hers. I mean, attachment and bonding are not well understood, and why and how and when it happens is a bit of a mystery. Amanda thinks that it would have been very difficult emotionally to carry a child for someone else if it had been genetically related to her or her husband John. Which is understandable, but it is also true that some women become very attached to babies they plan or hope to adopt. Some women feel no attachment to their dearly wanted babies until well after the baby is born. Others find themselves pregnant unexpectedly and immediately feel a strong attachment to their unborn baby. But I think we can probably agree that Amanda not feeling attached to a baby that was not hers is a healthy lack of attachment, even if she was carrying it. It wouldn't have helped anyone for Amanda to feel or to nurture feelings of attachment toward the baby. But we'll get back to that issue later. In the shorter term, on top of the everyday of being pregnant with Leslie and Doug's baby in her day-to-day -day life, and the surprise of not feeling as connected as she was expecting to feel, there was one other major difference for her. Yeah, so the telling people part of the whole thing was the thing that I was the most nervous about. I was worried about people's negative reactions, um, but even more, I just, I, even in my own pregnancies, I don't like, I don't like telling people, not because I don't want people to know, know, I just don't like the whole part of telling people, like the actual telling. I feel like it, I guess it draws a lot of attention to me and to my body in particular. <laughs> so I just like, that's my least favorite part. So in my own pregnancies, I will tell people who I am close to and then all those other people, I'll just sort of let them figure it out as I get immensely huge. Whereas with this, I felt like everybody needed to know the story, um, like everyone, because if I then show up in a few months and I don't have a baby, are they going to think that my baby died or what, like, what are they like? Everyone deserves to know why I'm now pregnant and later will not have a baby. And so that, yeah, it, it was, it was stressful for me. So like I started, I, I, not until I started showing, but once I started showing, I, you know, would just start conversations with like, oh yeah, so I'm a surrogate. And like, it's like every conversation with somebody started that way. And um, at first I thought, okay, well, I just need to tell people who I work with. Well, it turns out like there are so many people that need to know, like the person in the grocery store doesn't need to know, but the people who work at the front desk at the community center um, where I work need to know. And 
I'm not close to them. I just, I know I'm going to see them or like the other moms who I'm not necessarily close to at Oli's preschool or um, just, it was just a lot of telling. And so funny story, like the, the, I didn't generally tell people in the grocery store and stuff like that. And it was sort of a relief sometimes when people were like, oh, congratulations, just to be like, oh, thank you, and just like play a little role. Again, it is interesting how our boundaries can shift and change. Telling someone you are pregnant can be a really fraught situation. Not only does it call attention to you and your body, which may not be a terribly pleasant experience for you, but it can provoke pretty strong and sometimes negative reactions. I know I felt exhausted by the congratulations and excitement that followed when I would share the news of one of my pregnancies. And it was another level of weariness to share the news with people who were confused about why I was having another baby, or with those whom I knew were trying, unsuccessfully, to have a baby of their own. But surrogacy is a different situation, where the boundaries are a little different. Amanda is right that it would be awful to cause someone any avoidable distress simply by clarifying her role in the baby's life. Sharing that could take away some of the awkwardness and give people something else to focus on besides her and her body. It made it a lot easier than sharing news of her own pregnancies. It also, of course, led to an awkwardness of a different kind. Like I have to tell them, but then I'm like singing my own praises. Um, and then there's the like, oh my goodness, you are a saint. And like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you, know, like, you. Definitely played with different responses and don't think I ever fully figured out what I was supposed to say in those situations. And then there are the people who don't, you know, pat me on the back. You know, there's one person who I, I thought knew um, at work. And I think there was more than one person who I, I like, I was, I thought I've got everyone. I think I've got everyone. And then after having the baby, like, they're like, Oh, so it looks like you had your baby. Like, ah, you didn't know. Oh no. And there was one person who I told after the fact and just got like a blank stare, (laughs) you know, and, and I don't know how to react to that either. So a bit of awkwardness in any case, kind of like pregnancy in general, but at least at home, Amanda was spared that kind of discomfort. John, Amanda's husband was a strong support, of course, attending the pre-pregnancy therapy sessions and then reminding her to keep Leslie up to date whenever she had an appointment. Leslie's family lives about an hour from Amanda's, and because of health conditions, they didn't get to see much of each other during the pregnancy. And it was fun for Amanda to see how her own children responded. It, it's it's funny. So kids can just sort of, like, absorb things so easily, it seems. And so they, um, yeah, they really, like, took the whole thing in stride, and it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world to them. They, it was interesting because the therapist recommended like resources for my kids. Um, Leslie sent us a picture book about about surrogacy to read to my younger kids. My older kids are maybe a little old for that, but and it all like there was just less to worry about than than I think any of us anticipated. Having said so, the worries aside, though, they my youngest two who are eight and four really really got into it they like they my sister also um had twins uh, while I was pregnant and so this whole like pregnancy and babies were really really big in our household for a really long time so um Theo and Oli 
um, my youngest two, they, they have been like daydreaming about the kids they're going to have and naming them and trying to, you know, wrap their mind around the whole thing of like how to have kids. And like, it, it's, it's been really interesting and funny and, and they've been thrilled by the whole thing. <laughs> On top of the absolute adorability of two little boys daydreaming and planning and playing at fatherhood, it's noteworthy that the worry and care was mostly on the side of the adults. As Amanda says, kids can absorb things really easily. It doesn't strike them as strange. They can let things into their world that might be difficult for people with more experience of how the world works. Which was a relief for Amanda, mostly. As the pregnancy went on and Amanda got bigger and more awkward and closer to her due date, she did have some nagging feelings of guilt about not being as available to her children as she wanted to be. She looked forward to being able to pick Oli up and cuddle him. But then, when the baby was born and she had more space in her lap, Oli had a surprising reaction. There was something really strange um, right after giving birth, and I was so excited. I was here, I was back, I was more physically and emotionally available to him and all my kids, but it, he's four, so it was really... Um, mostly for him. And he, he had this just massive case of sibling rivalry. And I was like, baffled. I was like, there's no baby. It's like, who are you jealous of? Um, but he just, he had a couple, I guess like a week um, just of really struggling, like struggling to go to school and just um, get along with people at home. And and I kept thinking, wait, but I'm I'm here. I'm available for you now. Like, what's going on? And and it's all resolved. But it was it was just it was just weird to see all the symptoms that I think he would have, you know, my other kids showed when a new baby came to the house. But there was no baby. It's interesting to think of the surprising response Ollie had to the baby that wasn't stealing any attention from him, as another expression of shifting boundaries in relationships. Of course, he could have been reacting to Amanda being in the hospital for a couple of days. But he also could have simply been playing the part of a new big brother just perfectly. Minus the baby. Actually, the emotional response to the baby's birth was slightly shifted for Amanda as well. Before we turn it over to Amanda to explain, we'll just give you the basic rundown of the birth itself. The baby was measuring pretty big, so Amanda was scheduled to be induced at 39 weeks. But the baby didn't wait that long and was born six days before the scheduled induction. Amanda labored for 27 hours, the longest of her five labors, and also had the only epidural of her life. She decided to have the epidural so she could be present emotionally for Leslie and Doug when they met their baby. The most vivid moment from the delivery was right after she was born, which again back to the that strange feeling of being pregnant but not but not having the same feelings as I did in all my previous pregnancies right after she was born I just I had this like well of emotion and just this like sob and I I was feeling you know how when you watch movies that have births in them like no matter how ridiculously staged they are like you cry at least I do <laughs> um, that that was how I felt like I felt like I was watching this and all of the emotion was there that that I feel when I encounter births and birth stories and yet it wasn't my own 
Like I was very emotionally involved in Leslie and Doug meeting their baby, but so strange for it to be my body doing it, I guess. I, when I say I had a disconnect, in no way was it like a negative, like, oh, why is this baby using my body? Or I, not like, oh, my body's being used in a bad way. Just like, oh, I am not emotionally, I'm not this child's mother, um, even though I'm here doing this thing. We could go on and on about the fears and the expectations that society has about women attaching or not attaching to babies. New moms often feel shock, surprise, and guilt if it takes them a while to bond. The bond is supposed to be instantaneous, irresistible, and overwhelming, right? We know that isn't true or even realistic, especially in cases where there is a lot of trauma surrounding the pregnancy or the birth process. But the expectations for women are so strong that they still hold even when it isn't the woman's baby that's being born. It is, I believe, safe to say healthy that Amanda had an unattachment to Leslie and Doug's baby. True, she carried and birthed the baby, but at no point did Amanda think or feel that the baby was hers. In fact, she intentionally did not try to attach to the baby. Still, after the birth, many friends and family reached out to express concern that Amanda might be feeling bereft by not having the baby with her. Meanwhile, Amanda was at home, getting the best sleep of her life. Oh, I'm telling you, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. I am still daydreaming about it. <laughs> because, like, there's an amazing feeling, like, miracle cures. Like, you know, if you have a headache, and if it just, instead of going away gradually after you take some Advil, if it, like, immediately went away, just that feeling of, like, oh, relief. Like, seriously, the sleep. I slept so deeply for that week after giving birth because I wasn't sleeping before I gave birth so my body was just like recovering <laughs> like doing this amazing job of just healing at an incredibly rapid rate <laughs> um so this this was a harder pregnancy than my other pregnancies I don't think it was like a huge leap but I I just I felt like really immobile and like humongous and somewhat disconnected from my body um, there at the end. And so um, giving birth was like this like miracle cure. So I was hurting and then I felt like amazing, just like, oh my goodness, this whole weight is gone from me. So, and I think I probably would have felt that with my other pregnancies, or I guess I did to some extent, but I also had a baby that was keeping me up at night. I slept so well. Oh my goodness. It was, it was, it, yeah, it was a really beautiful few weeks um, just to be healing so quickly because of sleep and rest and not having to take care of a baby. And yes, I did have like little feelings of like, oh, well, somebody's taking care of Ellen, even if it's not me. I hope that they're doing okay and not, <laughs> not, you know, not too many sleepless nights. It's difficult to know how a path will end when we start on it. What looked familiar and manageable at a distance can be more complicated up close. 
Amanda certainly expected subtle shifts in perspective and some blurry boundaries when she passed the note to Leslie saying she'd be willing to carry her baby. But when she looks back at her experience from the distance of a few months, it looks mostly the same as before. Her family is still strong and supportive, she and Leslie are still close friends, and she feels much closer to Doug as well. She is always happy to see the pictures and videos of baby Ellen that Leslie sends to her, and she does feel a little bit more closure about being done having her own babies as well. But she says it wasn't exactly what she hoped it would be. I, I think it's definitely given me some closure, but maybe in a different way than I thought it would. I don't, I don't know if I had a lot of cherished moments like I thought I would. I, not that, not that they were the opposite of cherished, but um, just you know that it's it's different carrying not your own child. So it, it just didn't work quite the way I thought it would. This sort of saying goodbye and closure. Um, but, but I, I do feel, feel a sense of closure. Like, oh, my body has done some amazing things and now it's time to move on to, to not doing those things. One thing it did give her was a sense of having done something good for someone else. I do. There's in general in my life, (laughs) I've, I've sort of thought there are those people, those other people who like are noble like nurses or like people who like choose professions where they like actually help people and give of themselves and then there's me who um i'm an artist (laughs) and so i did sort of think about like i i um this is not this is not very shareable this is just me talking now there's the the tale of two cities where what's his name says it's a far far better thing that i will ever do or whatever far far better anyway obviously he's dying so he's going to a different place but i've thought about that i've like i've never done anything noble in my life this is like my noble thing thank you amanda for sharing your incredible story and for being a noble soul who is willing to put herself in some awkward situations for the love of a friend. You don't have to respond to that. You can just let it be. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have a story you'd like to share, please let us know. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or on our website, cocoonstories.com. We are actually also on Patreon as well. If you feel like you want to support the work we do, we welcome any little bit. Just search for Cocoon Stories on Patreon. And of course, we need to acknowledge Ryan Barnhart, Ben Howell, Ellen Barnhart, and Tyson Chang, who have all contributed to the wonder that is this podcast. Many, many thanks to you all. And to Micah Heiselt, who, in addition to being a great supporter of our project, is, due to some unfortunate incidents this summer, the mortal enemy to all hornets everywhere. Finally, before we go, we wanted to share Amanda's advice for anyone who might be considering being a gestational surrogate. Just be really, I guess you can't be sure, but, um, but feel really good about it. Don't go into it with, with hesitation or worry. And that being said, you know, I, I felt like beforehand I tried to be very realistic like knowing that okay you know this is pregnancy I'm at some point I'm gonna be like oh this stinks I don't like this 
maybe even at some point I might even say, ooh, I, I wish I wasn't doing this. So definitely have those real, realistic expectations. Those are the same, those are the same expectations though to have, you know, carrying your own child though. You know, at some point in the pregnancy, you might be like, I feel awful. I don't want to be doing this. And just to know that that might, might happen, but, but to still be, still be sure, um, just to feel really good about, about your choice. <laughs>